So let's recall that the 12 links are a description of our life and all of our lives. So they're not just some intellectual formulation. But it's a totally different way of looking at our life that is up to us to familiarize ourselves with so we get a, a real feel for what's going on. And it can be pretty alarming as we get a deeper understanding of of the Buddhist perspective on our life in samsara. And then we need to remember that all sentient beings are in this same predicament. And that we've been born over and over and over again in so many different forms with so many different experiences. We've done so many things except practice the Dharma. And so... Even now, we're still trapped by the ignorance and formative actions and everything that follows from them. So let's make a strong determination to not only free ourselves, but to do whatever we can to help others do the same. And for that reason, to aspire for full awakening. So we'll have the real ability to be able to do that. So our usual way of thinking about ourselves is, I'm here, okay, I'm this nationality, I am the child of these parents, I have had these experiences, and I've had these problems, and I have these wishes, and, you know, I'm just chugging along each day, doing what I do, just like everybody else's. And there's no thought at all about past and future lives. There's no thought about why am I here? Or who am I? Or what's all of this about? 
and what's the purpose of my life? No, we just kind of keep going. And how can I be happy? How can I, you know, get rid of the people who bother me? How can I get what I want? Yeah. No thought of really the big picture of what our experience entails and what caused it and what effects we're creating now. And so it's important as we are studying the the 12 links to really uh, make this our own in the sense of thinking, you know, this is describing my life. Yeah. Okay, so we've, we've talked about ignorance and formative actions, the first two links. Yeah. Do you wake up in the morning and think, I have ignorance and I'm creating formative actions? Do you think today I'm going to be starting many new sets of the 12 links? Huh? Do we think that when we wake up in the morning? No, we just wake up and here I am and how can I get what makes me feel good and get away from what doesn't make me feel good? Yeah? Do we even think that we're going to die? Well, the thought enters our mind and it quickly leaves our mind because... It's going to happen a long time in the future. Yeah, we don't really have to worry about it. And by that time, science will have invented a anti-death pill. That's great, huh? You want to live forever with an anti-death pill? Yeah, you want to be around here for the the 2080 election? If it's bad now, what's it going to be like then? Okay. Do we ever think of ourselves as being a different person than we are now? Of completely losing this identity, you know? I mean, we're so habituated with the identity we've created that we don't even realize that we have created an identity. Yeah. It's just, we are this person, period. Yeah. But it's all created out of causes and conditions. And it's all changing. And our mind's making up a lot of it. Okay. So, it, you know, when you really think deeply about the Buddha's teachings, um, we can see that, you know, when they talk about ignorance, just the ignorance of, of uh, you know, the grass true existence as being the root of samsara. Yeah, we say, yeah, yeah, that's the root of samsara. But we're so ignorant, we don't even realize that we grasp a true existence. We can't identify it in our own experience. We never question what we're seeing or our interpretations. 
Yeah? We just think it's all objective external reality. And so when we think about ignorance, we aren't even realizing the ignorance we have on the conventional level, let alone on the ultimate level. Yeah? So I guess you would say, we're so ignorant, we don't know that we're ignorant. Yeah? Yeah, when you sometimes meditate on it, it's like, ah, my mind is like, my mind makes no sense. It's completely, the way I perceive things, the way I see things is completely nuts, you know? I think I am a permanent person here, yeah? And death is just some kind of concept. And even if I die, I'm still going to be me. Yeah, I'm going to have all those visions. Yes, I've learned the visions. So I'll sit there and I'll have all the visions and I'll go into the bardo, which will be very nice. And then I'll come out of the bardo and I'll still be me with this nationality and this, this personality, uh, you know, traits and, uh, this religion, this race, this socioeconomic class. I'm going to come out the other end and I'm still going to be me and I'm still going to speak English plus whatever language, other languages you happen to know. And all during the bardo, I'm going to be uh, thinking about the bardo experience in English. Yeah. Because English really isn't a, a language. It's It's something beyond language. Yeah? How can people not understand English? It's quite interesting, this mind. Okay? So, and so then, you know, throughout each day we take, we create a whole bunch of uh, the initial links for uh, another set of 12 links. Yeah, those are planted in our mental continuum. And uh, yeah, and life goes on. Okay, so it's important to, to think about these, the 12 links, yeah? Okay, so we left off, oh, before we do that, there was a question from last week. Okay, so uh, somebody's saying, I'm uh, I'm struggling to have a clear definition in my mind for virtuous and non-virtuous. Okay, and then say, but I've largely relied on the explanation uh, on page 235 to 6 in volume 2. So this is the uh, the Pali 
explanation. So Pali commentaries explain nuances of the term virt- terms virtue and non-virtue. From a psychological and spiritual viewpoint, non-virtue indicates something that is psychologically or spiritually unhealthy. From an ethical perspective, it is to be censored and shown disapproval. From the standpoint of its cause, it is produced by defilements. And from the viewpoint of its result, it produces suffering. Contrarily, virtue is spiritually and psychologically healthy and beneficial, ethically commendable, not produced under the influence of gross defilements, and leads to force, uh, to fortunate results. Yeah. So that sounds good when you read it. Yeah. Sounds good. When you start asking questions, Okay, so the, this is what the person's saying. With respect to karmic actions, this is clear enough. But I think I'm still missing something. Given that the aggregates are neutral and karmic seeds are neutral. Okay. But the aggregates are a condition for suffering. And it's said in here, you know, that things that are virtue or non-virtue are, you know, they produce suffering. So my aggregate, you know, my aggregates are a conditioning for future suffering. And they're also, uh, produced under the influence of defilements. And the same for the karmic seeds. They're a condition for suffering and they're produced under the influence of defilements. So holding non-virtuous as meaning uh, leads to suffering appears to be too simplistic. Okay, so this is good, you know, when you start really looking at the words and, and what do they mean, because it sounds good the first time you read it. Okay, but words don't always mean exactly what they seem to mean, Okay. Because it says, from the standpoint of its cause, okay, non-virtue is produced by defilements. Yeah. So if you're going to say the aggregates are non-virtuous, then, you know, what's the cause of the aggregates? Okay, so the cause of the body are, you know, the different elements that make up the body. The cause of the the mental aggregates are previous continuities of those. Okay, so it's the aggregates, you know, they... Their principle, how to say this? Um, okay. The aggregates, the cause, the substantial cause of the aggregates is not something non-virtuous. The substantial cause of the body is physical material. 
Yeah, physical material isn't virtuous or non-virtuous. Okay. And if you say that the aggregates are a condition for suffering, yeah, but this says from the viewpoint of its cause, a cause and a condition are different. Okay, the cause is the actual, um, if we're talking about substantial causes, it's the actual thing that turns into the result. If we're talking about principal causes, it's the principal cause for the experience. Okay, so our ag, but the condition is something different. Okay, the cause is the principal thing. The condition is a helper in that. Okay, <laughs> so our aggregates alone, yeah, are not, they're not virtuous and they're not non-virtuous. Okay, they could be a condition for suffering, but that doesn't make them the cause of suffering. And the aggregates, you know, in general, are not, yeah, yeah, okay, you see what I mean there? So, virtue and non-virtue are the principal cause of suffering. The aggregates would be the cooperative condition, okay? And similarly, with the seed of karma, yeah, the seed of the seed itself is neutral, but it's a seed of virtuous karma or a seed of non-virtuous karma. The action was virtue or non-virtue. The seed is just the seed that's hanging out in the mental continuum or hanging out with the mirror eye until it ripens. Okay? So, yeah. So aggregates can lead to happiness, but they wouldn't be the cause of happiness. They'd be the condition. And the karmic seeds... Uh, you know, can ripen in virtue, in happiness, or in suffering. But that's different than, than, yeah. Okay. So when they're talking about um, virtue and non-virtue, they, uh, okay, well, let me read the rest of your question. Is it that the labels of virtue and virtuous and non-virtuous can only be applied to actions, karma, mental states, and that the aggregates and karmic seeds are not suitable bases? That's pretty much it. I'm gonna, we're going to go through what's called virtue and what there are things that are naturally virtuous and there are things that are called virtuous that are not actual virtue. Okay, remember, not everything that is called something is the division of that thing. Yeah, or as one lama said, semestry is stupid. You know, if we think that these things, 
if our way of, of making categories, if we expect that way of making categories uh, to be how the texts do it, then it's not going to happen that way. Okay. So um, if we talk about natural virtues, yeah, they're the 11 uh, virtuous mental factors. Yeah. Actually, there's more because there's many more mental factors. You know, the 51 or 52 that we have, those are only picked out because they uh, are emphasized because they relate to liberation. But there's many more non-virtuous ones and there's many more virtuous ones. Okay, but those are examples of natural virtue because the mental factor itself, when it arises, will produce uh, causes that will ripen in happiness. Okay, the, then there's another natural virtue is what they call um, the virtues through relationship. And so those are the mind and other mental factors that accompany any of the 11 virtuous mental factors. I'm saying 11, but it means more. Okay. So, you know, whenever there's a mental state, there's a primary consciousness, and then there's various other mental factors that accompany that mental state. And then if you have one that is virtuous, it makes that, that primary mind and all the other mental factors virtuous. Okay. Cause they're all together in one package. You can't separate them. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about different parts of a mental state, but you can't pull them apart and isolate them. Okay. So that whole mental state becomes virtuous. Okay. And then there's virtue through motivation. This is another kind of natural virtue. And that's the physical and verbal actions motivated by virtuous mental factors. Okay. So the, the actual virtue, uh, it, it's the intent, the mental factor of intention, which is one of the five omnipresent ones. That one is the actual karma. And then depending what kind of other mental factors are in that mental state, uh, in that, yeah, in that whole mental, yeah, state, I guess. Um, then that intention will become virtuous or non-virtuous. Okay. Yeah. So the wood is, is not, the wood does not have any, ethical anything, yeah? I mean, you could say the wood leads to, leads to suffering if somebody takes it and bangs it on your head or you fall over and knock your head against it. But uh, the, wood, that, the wood is just there. It's, it's not, it happens to be the condition, but what is causing you to fall over and knock your head and experience pain that's the karma. Okay? You know, the previous actions. Okay, then there's some things that are called virtue that are not actually virtue. Okay? So, 
the, and here you go, the virtue through subsequent relation. So these are the seeds established by virtuous uh, mental factors and virtuous minds. Okay, so those are, they may be called virtue, but they're not actual virtue. They're just the seed, yeah? And then there's virtue through ultimacy, and emptiness, in this case, is called virtuous, because when you meditate on it, the defilements are purified. But emptiness is neither virtuous nor non-virtuous. Okay, so when we're talking about virtue and non-virtue, we're talking about the ethical dimension of something. What uh, it will be the principal cause of. If it's a principal cause of happiness, it's called virtue. If it's the principal cause of suffering, it's called non-virtue. Okay, I haven't seen a nice, neat... Um, definition of of virtue. Maybe I don't know. Somebody else has found one. Sk, do you know of, of one? No, but yeah, generally they say it's what brings happiness, the cause of happiness. But yeah, here in your book, um, page one thirty-seven. Which volume? This one. Mm-hmm. Samsara. Yeah. So it goes through these different kinds of virtue that you just went through. Yeah. And then also the five not five types of non-virtues. Mhm. But yeah, it doesn't really have a definition of virtue. No. No. But the if you go through the things that are, are described there, it gives you some idea. There's many words that that, that are used a lot but don't have a definition that I've found, like the word nature. Yeah? It's used all the time. What in the world does nature mean? You know, or same nature is the same as same entity. What does entity mean there? So there's lots of these things I've found that, you know, you can't find a nice, neat, definition, they, but they're used all the time, and you kind of pick up what, it, what you think it means, which is how we learn language in the first place as babies. Yeah? We just listened, and then, you know, okay, this sound usually comes in this context, that sound in that context, so we get some general idea of what a term means. Yeah. Okay, Um, so we left off on page 168 last time uh, with the reflection. So we'll start with the reflection. So what are the different types of formative actions? Yeah, I'm asking. What are they? Don't look at the book. Meritorious. Invariable. Okay, what are meritorious ones? Yeah, okay. What are non... uh, Are they... Are meritorious ones in all realms of samsara? What realms? 
the desire realm. What about non-virtue? Desire realm. And invariable? What in the world is that? Yeah, okay, but why is it called, it's a meditative concentration that you have as a human being, usually, it could be in the other realms too, that will propel you to take rebirth in a, a form or form realm, formless realm concentration. Okay, why are they called invariable? Yeah, so whatever level of concentration you attained, you're born in that exact same one, not up, not lower, not upper. Okay? Okay, so we've been born in those kind of realms, in the form realm and formless realms. Yeah, anybody remember? No, you don't remember? They say we've been born there, that we've all had single-pointed concentration before. Can you believe that? That you've had it? Yeah. Born in the highest concentration of samsara. Countless times. And look at us now. Can't even concentrate for three seconds. (laughs) What happened? Then trace the process of uh, these different types of formative actions arising from ignorance to afflictions to action. Make examples from your life. Okay? Somebody want to make an example? Maybe use pass the microphone around. Okay, make an example of ignorance, afflictions, to action, to the kind of rebirth it's going to have. So the sign, the lunch board sign, says that dessert includes sweet ginger potato, sweet potato ginger soup. So immediately the mind that was sort of calm immediately goes into grasping. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, I want that soup and the attachment arises. So that's the causal part okay. of it, right? Where, where's the ignorance? Oh, the ignorance was the self-grasping, the, the, the grasping at an inherently existent I, the view of the personal identity. Mm-hmm. So the minute I want that, I get the bowl, then I get to the bowl and I scoop up a more than generous amount. Mm-hmm. So attachment has really risen up. Mm-hmm. And how are you seeing that that sweet potato soup? It's completely beautiful, and it's inherently existent, and it's going to give me pleasure for the rest of my life, not just in the next moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'm not seeing the dukkha of change at all. Mm-hmm. But I do try and get more soup. 
<laughs> and Venerable Damcho got there before me. This is my second pass at it, but there was no more soup left. So then the self-grasping arises yet again, and now the attachment is making me suffer because I couldn't get more soup. And so I've created... Where's the karma? The karma? Yeah. Did you create any karma with that? All kinds of negative karma. Like what? I was greedy, so I took more than I should have taken. Mm-hmm. And that left people behind me not having even a taste, probably. And I felt a little bit of resentment when I went back and the soup was gone. So again, more negative karma being created and the habit of, you know, wanting something and not getting it. Mm-hmm. And then? And then... Realizing that I wasn't feeling so well, that I had overeaten with the sweet potato ginger soup. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Somebody else want to give an example? Say? Well, say you were driving in your car, and um, Mm -hmm. of course you have an attachment to self, and someone cuts you off, and in your mind you mistakenly think that they do it on purpose, so then you cut them off, you know, and then anger arises, you cut them off, and then... Um, the affliction would be anger, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and, the, and then they, so they're they're mad, and then they they you know they pass that negative karma on to someone else, cut someone else off, you know, get to their work, and you know, just on and on. Yeah. So you cut them off. That was your physical negative karma. Yeah. Yeah. And then they got angry. And then they, maybe, well, the old story is they went home and beat the dog. Yeah. 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 Or they cut somebody else off or they went to work in a bad mood. And, you know, then that person's creating some negative karma, yelling and screaming when they're at work or whatever. Yeah. When When I'm conscious, I like to. find the antidote to anger before I go full, full on. And like his holiness says, you know, just as I want happiness and don't want suffering, they want happiness. Don't. So that kind of cuts the, the eye out of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So um, we'll be doing Vajrasattva retreat you know, the next two days, and some of you for the next three months. And it it's good to, to really look, you know, you have to think of specific things that, that you're going to be purifying. And you also can think of general categories of things that you're purifying. But it's good to, to go through and, you know, where was the ignorance that started the whole thing? 
Yeah. Was it only grasping me? Was it grasping the object, the other person, you know, which is the form of those different uh, objects that ignorance may have grasped, which is the one that is the, the first link? And then how did a, an affliction come from that? And then what did you do? Maybe you said something, you did something, you ruminated and planned something. Yeah. And then did it have all four actions? Bring in all the things you've been studying here. You know, just pick pick one thing that you're purifying and go into it. You know, so did it have all four actions? What are the what? Branches. branches. Yeah, sorry. So what are the four branches? The object. The attitude. The action and the completion of the action. So look at whatever thing that, you know, you feel bad about doing and, and go through. Does it have all four? And if it has all four, then that is the kind of karma that will produce another rebirth. And then think what kind of rebirths uh, could come from that kind of karma. And there, you know, you're going to think of uh, what you've studied in uh, the Wheel of Sharp Weapons. Okay? So, so the, you've got to take what you study in class and apply it specifically to the events in your life so that it makes sense to you, and then you really begin to see how karma works and how ignorance works and why it's important to purify, you know? Because you went through, oh, there's all four, four branches, and there's a seed now in my mind that is going to produce a certain kind of rebirth, and you can make some guesses at the kind of rebirth that it's going to produce. And then you think, do I really want to experience that? And if the answer is no, then I have to purify. So you purify with the four opponent powers. What are those? Regret. Yeah. Relying on what? Relying on the three jewels and sentient beings, whoever you may have committed negativity with. Third one? The remedial action. So you're doing Vajrasattva. Fourth one? Yeah, determine. Yeah, a resolver determination. That one can be hard. <laughs> Even hard to make. Sometimes regret is hard. It's like, yeah, I don't feel so good about doing it, but they started it. <laughs> okay. So do you, are you beginning to get some idea about how we're studying? What we're studying has to be in your meditation and in the different practices that you do. Yeah. If you don't do that, then then why are you studying? And if you don't apply what you're studying to your practice, how are you going to purify? 
Okay. Okay, then three is as you go through the day, be aware that your actions that are complete with all four branches are creating causes for your future lives. And then, you know, sometimes you can imagine that you're, uh, you know, starting to die and the karma is going to ripen before you get to the, the white, red, black, and clear, clear light visions, okay? So there you are lying on your deathbed, and, you know, what kind of thought or what kind of condition is going to make what kind of karma ripen? And if you start thinking about one of these things that you did at the time of death, and you haven't purified it, and your mind starts getting really tight about it. Because you know how sometimes we remember things from the past that we thought, okay, I'm done with that, finished with that. And then you remember it, and like you start getting mad all over again, or you start getting fixated and desiring it all over again. Yeah. And so what happens if, you know, a thought of one of these things comes up in your mind and you, you know, your mind gets activated with craving and clinging, and then that makes different karma ripen. Yeah. And then do it with also a virtuous karma. Think of of virtuous things that you've done, you know, and have our virtuous actions been with all four branches? (laughs) And are the four, did we do the four branches with energy? Yeah. Like you set up your, the altar in the morning. Okay. Well, so, okay. You have the objects. Yeah. And then your attitude. Yeah. What kind of intention do you have in the morning? Do I do my teeth first or the altar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do I brush my teeth first? Set up oh, the, should I get my teeth first? You, oh, that, yeah, should I get my tea first or off, make offerings to the Buddha first? Yeah. And, you know, like what shall I offer? Mm-mm. That looks okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Do we even think we're offering to the Buddha Dharma Sangha or are we just moving water and other objects from one place to the next? So it's interesting. And then, you know, okay, so we finish, and there's little bowls with water. Yeah. Do you feel like, do you you dedicate it all, either then or at the end of your morning practice? Or is it? Okay, got that done. One last thing to do in the morning. Yeah. Now I can get a big cup of tea. Yeah. There's, I, I, I made the offerings quickly, so now I have a, two more minutes to drink my tea in the morning so I can make a big cup before I have to run out in the snow. You know. 
to go sit in this room with all these other people. <laughs> One of the things I've really gotten to notice is so much of my stuff is done on neutral. Like all these opportunities here at the Abbey that could create so much virtue. I start off on the right foot, but then about a third or half of the way through, I'm gone. You know, or I just kind of bring it down to where it's not, it's not negative. I'm not having any unkind or non-virtuous thoughts, but the virtue has so, des- has been so depleted because I'm just not putting any energy to it. So it's, yeah. it's, it's not so much auto- automatic, but it has no, it umph. has no umph to it. Yeah. You know, and that I've just been more and more aware of all the opportunities I'm missing doing beautiful, simple things that would create merit that I'm just, you know, just cruising right through on the top of the surface. You yeah. Know? It's really, and I, you know, find that very humbling and very sad because I'm, I'm blowing it, you know? Yeah. And then we keep doing it. Anybody else have, have that? Yeah. That's definitely ignorance. Not understanding karma and results. Yeah. Okay. Then, point four, how does this awareness change how you think and what you do? So thinking about ignorance, formative action, karmic seeds, four branches, all these things. How does that change what you think and what you do? Well, it should change it a lot, but like you said, we just kind of stumble through it, don't we? Yeah, there's a thought of, gee, I should slow down and really concentrate on this. And then yeah. Okay, so these questions in the book are for actual reflection. Yeah, they weren't written just to fill up space. Okay, so now the third, uh, the third link is consciousness. So third link consciousness is primarily to the. Uh, oh, this was is an error. Take out the is. Okay, it should read third link consciousness. Uh, yeah, refers primarily to or primarily refers to the polluted mental consciousness that has just joined to the next rebirth under the control of afflictions and karma. Okay? Yeah. So it's pointing to to very specific moments of consciousness. This is in the Sanskrit tradition. Okay, the the Pali tradition is a little bit different. So third-link consciousness does not refer to all consciousnesses. It is not a sense consciousness, nor is it the consciousness of a Buddha or a pure ground bodhisattva or an arhat, because they're no longer reborn under the power of afflictions and karma. Third-link consciousness afflicts transmigrating beings because it leads to the next rebirth. Okay, so it's referring to specific 
polluted mental consciousness. Yeah, and then we're going to learn some more about specifics here. The third link conscious. The third link refers only to the mental consciousness of two specific moments. So, first moment is the causal consciousness. It's the moment of consciousness on which the karmic seed created by a formative action is placed. This consciousness is neutral, and the seed of a virtuous or non-virtuous karma infuses or perfumes it. The continuum of the causal consciousness carries the seed until the time it ripens as the new rebirth, at that time, it becomes the resultant consciousness. Okay. So the question comes, this is a neutral, the causal consciousness is a neutral consciousness. So, okay, you're doing a virtuous action or a non-virtuous action. The mental state is becomes virtuous or non-virtuous. You create some karma. Where's the neutral consciousness that the seed is set on? Yeah. As far as I can figure out, it must be like after the action, yeah, because it isn't like your mind every single nanosecond is going to be virtuous or non-virtuous, that there's some kind of neutral state in the seed gets planted on that. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Hmm? Yeah, because they they say that if the like if your consciousness is in a negative state, a virtuous karma cannot be placed upon it. Yeah? So it has to be a neutral a neutral mental state. But we have so many little moments that it must be one of those moments that isn't virtuous or non-virtuous. Then the resultant consciousness is the first brief moment of mental consciousness at the beginning of a new life. Okay, so the causal consciousness is the consciousness that the seed was placed on the continuum of that consciousness, yeah, or sometimes they say the mere eye carries that seed. And then the resulting consciousness is that that karma has ripened. Yeah, so if you experience craving, clinging, and renewed existence, those links. And then the first moment in the next life is the resultant consciousness. Okay. So in the next moment, the fourth link, well, here it has, in the next moment, the fourth link, name and form arises. Yeah. So it just goes, resultant consciousness, name and form. In terms of most human lives, the resultant consciousness occurs at the moment of conception. Now, there's some interesting questions that arise with that. We don't know 
if conception occurs before the fertilized omen, ovum, implants in the uterus, or at the time it does. Yeah? So I know His Holiness was quite interested in that question. And uh, we asked some scientists, and they didn't really seem to know whether, yeah, whether the moment of conception was before the, the, because the scientists, for the scientists, conception is just the two seeds coming together. For Buddhists, conception is the two seeds plus the resultant consciousness coming together. Yeah? So, is it when the egg implants? Is it before the the fertilized egg implants? Is it afterwards? You know, what happens um, in in vitro um, fertilization? Yeah? All those different kinds of new new ways. Like when is when does is the actual first moment of that consciousness entering the 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 ovum? Yeah. Okay. It is hard to say when the resultant consciousness occurs in cases of in vitro fertilization. However, it is clear that without the presence of a mental consciousness, the mere physical joining of a sperm and ovum will not become a human being. So His Holiness was also curious about that. And we found out that many times there is a fertilized ovum, but it doesn't implant in the uterus. Okay. So the two seeds came together, but there was no consciousness that entered it. Yeah. So apparently it seems like that happens, can happen quite a lot. Yeah. And I guess nobody's karma is, is ripening at that point to throw, throw that consciousness into the, the ovum, the fertilized ovum. What carries the karmic seeds until they bring their results is a widely discussed topic among Buddhist schools. It's one of the big topics, okay? In the context of the 12 links, the causal consciousness plays this role. So the Vibhasakas, Sautantrakas, and Svatantrakas, those, those three schools, assert the continuity of the mental consciousness to be the third link consciousness. Okay? So, you know, it gets planted on the third link consciousness. That continuity carries, you know, it's a mental consciousness. Yeah. So sense, I mean, there's no reason why sense consciousnesses, or how could they carry karma? Yeah. Because their job is just to perceive whatever external object they have a correspondence with. Okay, so it's going to be a mental consciousness. Unlike other Buddhist schools that assert six consciousnesses, the visual, auditory, olfactory, gustatory, tactile, and mental consciousnesses, the Chitta Mandran, or uh, also called the Yogacarya, 
those script, uh, the Chittamatra scriptural proponents assert eight consciousnesses. The previous six plus the afflictive consciousness and the foundation consciousness. Okay, so the foundation consciousness we're going to talk about, the afflictive consciousness is one that views the foundation consciousness and takes it to be a substantial, a self-sufficient, substantially existent person, according to those particular, that particular Chittamantra school. So the foundation consciousness or storehouse consciousness, also called the mind basis of all, okay, is the repository of all karmic seeds and assumes the role of the third link consciousness. So if you're wondering where it goes, that's where it goes. Okay. So these cheetah mantras assert such a foundation uh, consciousness because they say there must be a stable mind that carries the karmic seeds from one life to the next. Also, there must be something that the word I refers to, something that is the person. Okay. So for the, the cheetah mantras, yeah, they say, you know, you have to have a very stable consciousness that is going to carry the seeds. And just our ordinary mental consciousness is not so stable. Okay. It bounces around, but also it, um, you know, if somebody is in meditative equipoise, directly perceiving emptiness, that mental consciousness for a short time is unpolluted. So it, at that point, you don't speak of that mental consciousness as carrying the seeds of non-virtuous actions because it's an unpolluted consciousness because it's in meditative equipoise directly realizing emptiness. So they say that at that point, it's the mere I that carries the the karma. We're going to get into that in a minute. Okay. But the Chittamadrans say, no, you know, it's got to be one consciousness that's there straight through. And the mental consciousness, it's not always, you know, there in that same way. Okay. So they have this foundation consciousness. So those, uh, yeah, okay. And so... First, they say it because, first of all, there has to be a stable mind that carries the karmic seeds. And second of all, there has to be something that the word I refers to. There has to be something that is the person, you know. And you wouldn't say the body's the person. You wouldn't say any of the sense consciousnesses of the person. The mental consciousness is you know, not stable, you know, in that way. You can have gross, uh, coarse mental consciousnesses, subtle mental consciousnesses. You know, it's not stable. So you have the foundation consciousness, and, you know, that is that is what the word I refers to, at least for polluted, you know, for ordinary living beings. The prosangikas disagree. Imagine that. <laughs> okay. They say 
that in the long term, yeah, long term, the mere eye carries the karmic seeds. They assert this because a nominally existent person exists when the action is created and when the action bears its result. So this mere eye must be the basis for infusion of the karmic seed. Okay. And then you go, well, what in the world is the mere eye? Oh, yeah, it's that in- inherently existent eye that's always there in every moment that carries the karma. You know, there's a real me that's there. Sorry, you're wrong again. Okay. So the mere eye is impermanent and cannot be found under ultimate analysis. In other words, when you are looking for exactly what that I is or what the word I refers to, you cannot isolate one particular thing. Okay? It feels like there's a, a, an individual I inside of us, doesn't it? There's me. It's one definitely existent thing that takes up a lot of space and is the center of the world and the most important thing. And it is me. Okay. But that kind of thing doesn't really exist. Okay. What does exist is you have the aggregates and then independence on the aggregates, yeah, there's the designation I. So that merely imputed I, yeah, is what goes from one life to the next. What is the merely imputed I? When you look for what it is, you cannot find anything that is the imputed, merely imputed I. Because looking for what it is, is ultimate analysis, and you cannot find an ultimately existent or inherently existent I when you analyze in that way. Okay, so that drives us totally crazy. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Oh, mere eye. Sure. We say words mere eye. What's the thought? Inherently existent eye. Then we hear, yeah, the the nominally existent eye. It exists by name only. And that name is given independence on the aggregates. But I want it to be the aggregates. Yeah. But if it is the aggregates, then you have to be able to point to something that is an independent, inherently existent I. And we can't do that. But we feel like such an I exists. Isn't that crazy making? You're sure that, you know? I mean, when you sit there and you just think, me, I want happiness. I don't want suffering. 
that feels like there's a real I there, doesn't it? Some independent I. Yeah. It doesn't seem, you know, it's not your foot, it's not your stomach. Huh? It's not even your mental consciousness. It's just me. And it's mixed in with the body-mind, but it's separate. It's me. Huh? And it feels like it's right there. And, you know, yes, I feel it. It's me, I'm sure. Yeah, but then if we have to look for exactly what it is, yeah, it, it gets a little uncomfortable. Because we're, we can't find it. Okay. So it's just the merely designated I. Yeah. So that, that I that exists by being merely imputed on a basis of designation. So there's the aggregates, and then the mind goes, I. And we go, no, that can't be me. Yeah, just going, I? What are you talking about? Yeah. Am I, just the sound, I? Am I... You know, what is this I? It's got to be something. Yeah. Look, I have a driver's license with that name on it. It's got to refer to some person. Yeah. Because if I get stopped, the cop wants to talk to me. And I am so-and-so. No, you aren't that. You're just called that. There's a difference between being that and being called that. Okay. So, you know, is this a thermos? When we talk, yes, it is a thermos. Because why? Because we all agree it is a thermos. And it has thermos characteristics. But what, what is this thermos? What? Yeah. If you dropped it, well, no, it would really have to break in multiple pieces. Yeah. What, what, where's the thermos? Similarly, if you look through your aggregates, where's the person? It's in there somewhere, I'm sure, hiding out in the bottom of my stomach. No, it's in here. No, it's up here in my cerebral cortex. Like some little homunculus, you know, that they used to think was in your pituitary gland. Very interesting to spend some time with this. No? Okay. So the mere eye is impermanent and cannot be found under ultimate analysis. 
There is nothing to point to and say this is the person other than the person that exists by mere imputation. What's a person that exists by mere imputation? I can't see it. Yeah. Although the mere eye carries the karmic seeds over a long period of time, the mental consciousness carries them temporarily. It, this doesn't mean that the, the seed is like, oh, now it's on the mere eye, now it's gone back to the mental consciousness, <laughs> that the seed is, you know, kind of moving around from, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been on the mental consciousness for too long. Let's go over into the mere eye. Let it carry me for a while. No, okay? It doesn't move because none of these things are are physical. Yeah, so the karmic seed is not moving. Yeah, And the this mental consciousness is actually one of the basis of imputation for the, for the word I. With the mere I. Yeah, so when you impute I in independence on the mental consciousness, not on the mental consciousness. Because if you impute it on the consciousness, then you really think that the consciousness is the person. This is imputed independence on. Yeah that mental consciousness. So the mere eye is not the mental consciousness. But my mental consciousness is the real thing that's me. I think, what did Descartes said? I think, therefore, I am. Yeah. So that's who I am, that the one who thinks. Who in the world is the one who thinks? Okay. The mental consciousness cannot be the constant carrier of the karma, karmic seeds, because at the time a person directly realizes emptiness, the mind is unpolluted, and polluted seeds cannot be associated with this unpolluted mind. Therefore, the mere eye carries the karmic latencies during this time. Okay. Questions? Comments? Yeah. Why wouldn't you just say the mere eye is just what carries it and leave the other part out? You could. I mean, that would be right. That would be yeah, correct, right? Yeah, that wouldn't be wrong to say that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we get angry straight after rejoicing, will the seed of the result of rejoicing still infuse the consciousness because you need a neutral consciousness to implant the seed? Read the first part again. If, it, if angry straight after rejoicing. Straight after rejoicing? Yes. Okay. Will the seed of the result of rejoicing still infuse the consciousness? Yeah. 
it'll find some neutral moment of consciousness there. Yeah, because I don't think you're going to have one moment of rejoicing and the very next moment without a break be anger. Yeah. That's it? Okay. Uh-huh. Um, where does this thing called the fundamental innate mind of clear light fit into this picture? Uh, that's when you talk about the mind from the viewpoint of Tantra. Okay, so this is a Sutrayana explanation. Yeah, uh, the, if you include Tantra, yeah, the fundamental innate mind of clear light, that can be the basis of designation of the eye also. Yeah, but, uh, you know, in our regular life, when our, we, our gross consciousnesses are functioning, it's going to be the, the gross mental consciousness where the, the seed is going to be implanted. Mm-hmm. Is the mere eye a consciousness? No. It's a person. Abstract composite? Yeah. It's an abstract composite. Trouble um, reconciling the explanation of the third link consciousness, that Mm -hmm. that is where the karmic seed is placed right after the Mm -hmm. um, action is done, and then the mere eye carrying the karmic seed. Yeah. Well, the mere eye can be what is imputed in dependence upon the causal consciousness. Yeah, because there's always going to be an I present. It's not that there's, you know, we go through times in our life where there's no person there. Yeah, so it's just what is the basis of designation of, of the person at any particular yeah, time. Yeah, I remember Ken Sir Jamba Tekchuk, when he was teaching us um, Chandrakirti's text, he said, that it is mainly the mental consciousness which is the basis of imputation yeah. of the mere eye. Yeah, and the the causal consciousness is a mental consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can't be a sense consciousness because those are not always functioning. And when it says the it's uh, the causal consciousness is where the seed is planted after the action is done. Is it the same causal consciousness that accumulates all the karmic seeds? No. I kind of have this image of well, because it said it's it's that it it the continuum yeah. of that ment- of that consciousness right. is what carries it. But right. we can only have one mental consciousness for, at a time. Yeah, but also for each set of twelve links, there's going to be one causal consciousness, and those causal consciousnesses are going to happen at different moments. But if you look at the big idea of the mind, you know, there's one mental continuum. I'm having trouble with that because, you know, we've got zillions of karmic seeds yeah. carrying, we're carrying, you know, from all yep. our past lives. Yeah. So that means they are being carried by a separate, men- separate each one is being carried by a separate. No, no, no. It's the continuum. The mental conscience continuum is one continuum. But what we're calling the causal consciousness for each set of 12 links 
is one moment on that continuum. Okay? So if I get angry this morning and I scream at somebody, there's, you know, that moment of, of in the continuum is going to be called the causal consciousness for that karma of harsh speech. And then I go, you know, then a half an hour later, I do something kind for somebody, then that moment in the continuum would be called the causal consciousness for that particular action that is starting another set of 12 links. I guess what I'm thinking is, well, where are all those other karmic seeds at that moment of time? (laughs) They're all there. The thing is, yeah, because none of them are physical. So it's not like, you know, they get crowded out. (laughs) This is not... You know, it's like, you know, my mental, my mental consciousness is only two inches wide and there's so many karmic seeds that they're flowing off the other edge and flowing. I don't have to purify anymore because they just get pushed off the edge. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, right. Yeah. Why can't I do that? If it's merely labeled, let's just merely label the other person me and shift it all over to them. (laughs) Doesn't work that way either. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. The resultant consciousness as the first moment of the next life, how is that uh, different from the tenth link of birth, which is... Isn't that supposed to be the first moment as well? Yeah, I think that they're they're the same. Yeah. It it seems there's a lot, there's different ways that there's these things overlap. Yeah. And I think that the first moment of the, of the 10th link is the same as the resultant consciousness here. It's either the same or it's one nanosecond later. But, uh, yeah. Did I say 10? No, it's the 11th link. Birth is the 11th link. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, just think, we don't come into a lifetime as fresh slates. Yeah? The continuity of the mere eye is carrying all these latencies and seeds and all sorts of stuff. Yeah? And none of it is material. One of the problems sometimes in understanding these things is that we only have words that refer to material objects to use to describe things that are not material. And that can create a lot of confusion in our minds. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask also about resulting consciousness. It says, it's the first brief moment of mental consciousness at the beginning of a new life. In the next moment, the fourth link, name and form, arises. Why wouldn't name and form arise in the first moment? Because you need some time for them to arrive. <laughs> but you already have, you're connecting with that 
that ovum and, and yeah. sperm. Yeah. And no, but it's really emphasizing that it's just the first moment. Then after that, you have the body and the mind and, and so on. I think saying that it's the first moment, it's emphasizing this fact that it's a continuity. And then the, uh, the third link gives rise to the fourth link. Gives rise to name and form or the consciousness that's name and form. Also, if we look, okay, the, um, oops, hold on a second. If we look at name and form, okay, name refers to the four mental aggregates, feeling, discrimination, miscellaneous factors and and primary consciousness and form is the body so in that first moment it seems like you have all you have all those but they're emphasis just i think as there's an overlap at the resultant side Mm -hmm. there's going to be an overlap at the causal side why is there that because they're i think they're emphasizing you know a point that there's a continuum of consciousness that is is involved here. Huh? huh? Yeah. Yeah, one causes the next. What? Yeah. One the causal consciousness is the cause for for name. Okay? Name the it's including all four, um, all four parts of the of um, the mind. Okay, the, all four mental aggregates. The causal consciousness is emphasizing the mental aggregate. Yeah, the the primary mental consciousness. Yeah, it's just different ways of categorizing things. Yeah. So it, you know, just, it's like, I don't know, like, go get the car and go get the Chevy. You know, well, why are they calling it a Chevy when it's, a, why are they calling it a car when it's a Chevy? And, you know, it, I don't know. These are just merely designated things. Yeah. And the big question, I mean, there's a lot with the 12 links that you can ask questions about. Like why, when we talk about how they uh, uh, ripen, why don't they ripen 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, up until 10? Why do they ripen 1, 2, half a 3 in one life, you know, 8, 9, and 10 in, in, you know, uh, maybe in that later on in that same life, then in the next life, you, you get all the rest of them. And sometimes you get one, two, and three in one life, and eight, nine, and ten in a second life that is 5,000 eons after the first life, you know? And then that ripens into the, the next one that is 5,000 eons plus a split second after the cause was created, 
you know, why, why, why are there so many different ways these things ripen? Why didn't they just make it nice and in order, you know? Yeah? I mean, this thing, this 12 links is so confusing. It is, isn't it? It's very confusing. And wait until we get to the poly description of the the third consciousness and the fourth consciousness is very different than the Sanskrit tradition. How did that happen? Why did the Pali call it this way and the con- and the Sanskrit call it this? Way? What what's the benefit? You know, here's Vasubandhu again. You know. This guy with his own interpretation. No, he has the standard in interpretations. It's the prosangikas that are making up their own screwy thing, <laughs> you know, where none of it exists inherently. Like, what the, in the world are those guys talking about? Yeah. I mean, lots of different opinions, lots of different interpretations. Yeah, and each one is to emphasize something different. So maybe that's our challenge to figure out why.